Hello and welcome to Kicking Balls, the podcast where two 20-something Americans give out a whole lot of opinions on soccer as if they're fact. So, bit of a, feels like a break, wasn't really that much of a break um, for us in recording just because so many games packed into such a short period of time made it really difficult for us to sort of sit down and talk about a game week as a whole because it was like every time one game week ended and another one started like literally the next day every two days there was more almost (laughs) it was almost overwhelming I like not that I've ever been sick of soccer in my life but it was kind of like I was drowning in the amount of games that were happening it's even more than a usual festive fixture it was definitely hard to follow um and keep track of every game because I think it was every day basically because some teams teams played two days apart so I feel yeah. like um, yeah like whoever played the one day had one day almost yeah anyway. it was so great but let's let's talk some results from this from this game week going all the way back to what is this match day 15. boxing day all the way back boxing. to boxing oh day God, yeah jeez 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 match day 15 day. so um just right off the bat I'm seeing the Lester man U was a tie nothing too interesting there um, a lot of ties that day. Uh, City beat Newcastle, which is to be expected. Um, honestly, the City games are blurring together a little bit, but um, a convincing win, if I remember that one correctly. Um, Liverpool, this was the start of Liverpool, of what is the problem at Liverpool? Uh, they tied West Brom on the 27th of, Je- of December. Tottenham also tied in game week 15. It was both yep. late comeback goals um, in like mm-hmm. the 80, 80 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. In the Tottenham game, Tottenham scored in the first minute. And then <laughs> the Wolves tied it up real late. And the same Liverpool scored in the 12th minute. Um, honestly, I see that from, I could see that happening to Tottenham more than Wolves just because of the tactics that they play. But honestly, yeah. I don't know if I watched all of the Liverpool game, but um, it's surprising that it happened to Liverpool, I think. It is. It is. But we'll talk a little bit more about Liverpool a little bit later because I have a few things to say on that subject. But um, the real headline of game week 15 is all yours, Rachel. Arsenal beating Chelsea three to one. Last time we talked, (laughs) you were really not optimistic about this. You were like, wow, can't wait to see Chelsea beat the living crap out of us. But yeah. <laughs> um, that's not what happened. So walk us Honestly, through it. Yeah. I mean, like, literally, like, these three match days, like, night and day from where it was the last podcast, honestly, like, Boxing Day miracle, potentially, but then it sustained itself, so it's not really just that. But I was really – I even though Chelsea hadn't been playing amazing, there was no way in my mind, or probably any Arsenal fan's mind, that – they were going to come out with such an emphatic win. Like, I do think that they showed us the arsenal that we all thought or hoped they would be after the summer. Um, and it all comes down to Arteta playing all the young guys. Smith Rowe in the middle of the park, he's just been amazing. He's 19. Like, that's insane. Him and Saka together are just combining amazing um, to score goals, which, you know, we haven't been doing. Um between them, Tierney has been playing really well, too. And I think um, Martinelli, gosh, there's so many young people on my team now. Um, Martinelli also um, 
he's coming off a pretty bad injury and it's really nice to see him really getting down the side him and Tierney on the I don't know left side of the pitch have really been connecting um and especially crossing and we have Alexander Lacazette suddenly able to score goals again which honestly kind of surprising but I'm not complaining about where we're at um I I'm under the assumption that we should kick William like all the old guys sit on the bench while the young guys can run wild honestly though I was kind of surprised about Chelsea like it wasn't just that Arsenal was playing well like Chelsea didn't play well in the game and like Timo Werner I don't know we could talk a little bit more about this but he did not play like he should have scored in that game and he did not He's on your fantasy team, so I don't know if you have any more thoughts on him. Yeah, I want to talk about Chelsea and Liverpool both. Yeah, but anyway, very, very pleased with the Chelsea result for Arsenal. So if you want to move into match day 16, it was very, very nice to see Arsenal again beat Brighton. Like, very obvious team that they should beat, but um, it would be consistent with Arsenal to lose that game after such a big game against Chelsea um so it was really really nice it was a hard-fought win it didn't look pretty the entire time but as a fan it's really nice to see the young guys really starting to play really well with each other on the pitch and really I think listen to what Arteta wants um and I think they're playing they're still playing the style that he wants and if they can just you know score goals and not like fall apart on defense I have my faith in them has risen minusculely. I'm not getting my hopes up. Um, um, other things yeah. about match day 16, just to note real quick, Liverpool tied again to Newcastle, also a club that Liverpool just has no business tying with. Um, but I do want to say that I cannot lie. I get a bit of a perverse amount of pleasure from the fact that Leeds uh, beat West Brom, who in the previous game week had tied Liverpool five nothing I will I will say that Leeds beating West Brom five nothing does give me a little bit of pleasure um given that I still sometimes think about the opening game of the season Leeds Liverpool that game when I really Mm -hmm. think that Leeds was a little raw a little done dirty in that in that matchup yeah so um I get a little forward to the call it whatever it is (laughs) call it the Liverpool hater in me if you must, but pleased me a little bit. Um, no city game that match week. It was suspended or postponed, whatever you want to oh, call right. it. The city I Everton game um, due to some positive COVID results. Uh, I read something today actually on the note of that, that there have been a league-wide high results there of is. covid testing mm-hmm. as much as city haters want to you know talk smack or whatever it's not just us guys calm down um no it's not but, and now england's in like full-ass lockdown again yeah so england, i wonder how that's going to impact everything yeah so um it leads to a couple wonky match days in the coming weeks but um i also i hesitate to say this but i also don't want to jinx it but i i Knock on some wood. Let's hope this isn't a sign of a another COVID lockdown pause to come. 
maybe like a few maybe when the city game got suspended people were like oh the premier league should take a two-week pause but then the premier league said themselves that they weren't going to do that yeah. um and honestly if they did do that it would the schedule's already so messed up obviously yeah. they should do it if it's the best thing for public health i'm not saying don't sure. do it but it I would really think... mess with euros in the summer due to yeah. like spacing of all the sure. games so i already think that there's a whole I don't know. I I don't know enough about public health and the situation at large in the UK, but it does seem to be um, whether this is a sort of an isolated incident related to holidays and and generally players across the league just not doing what they're supposed to be doing given the holiday season. Um, I think it could easily be that and we'll see what happens but um hopefully it's just a a one-off and not a consistent trend and we don't have to see suspension of large-scale games again but that's kind of all I have for match day 16 Chelsea Aston Villa was a game that I thought was going to be really interesting and then wasn't that's all I have to say about that game yeah Um, I watched it because I thought it was going to be like I don't know why I thought there was going to be goals. I think I thought that Chelsea might come out swinging after losing to Arsenal, but so did I. So did I. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And while we're on the note of Chelsea and they're losing steam, um, they similarly lost to uh, Man City this past Sunday, which was a, a fun game for me to watch. I will say that I have been saying it about Phil Foden and I continue to be proven correct. He continues to back me up in the sense that he shows up on the field and he gets goals or assists or this week, both. And I'm just saying that I've been saying it. I've been saying it not only this season, but I've been saying it for like a couple of years now. And my friends are probably tired of hearing about it, but like, I was right. I am right. Yeah, there's there's well, not a whole know. lot of stuff that I can say with like my full chest that I am a hundred percent sure <laughs> that I'm right about because I just I say a lot of stuff and sometimes I don't mean it. But this one, I'm right about it. I'm right about him, guys. He should play more. And overall, City's performance against Chelsea was a very good performance, particularly in the first half. The second half dropped off a little bit. They weren't weren't quite focusing. Did they score as well as they should the be? They did score all three of their goals in the first half. Um, All three of them were very nice goals. um, Very good worked, well-worked goals and stuff like that. Frankly, Kevin De Bruyne's goal, the fact that Sterling didn't finish this goal himself is silly, but luckily Kevin De Bruyne was there to clean up the mess because I don't know what, Sterling is starting to drive me a little bit crazy because he's started to pick up this habit of he gets the ball inside the eighteen. And he's just like holding it. I'm like, shoot the ball, like, or or pass it to somebody. I don't know. Don't just stand there. Like he's doing too much. Like he's in. He gets in the into the box and he doesn't know what to do all of a sudden. And this isn't a problem that he's had before. So I don't know like what's going on up there in his head, but (laughs) something's not clicking for him because he's the ball is with him for too long. He doesn't, he's not making his decisions inside the box quickly enough. And he's dribbling too much in the box. He's not like, I don't know. I don't really know what he's doing. I don't really know. But luckily other people in city have 
turned it around. Um, a couple other notes about them. Zach Steffen, he did his job. He didn't have a ton of work to do. He didn't have much to do. Which he really again, didn't have much to do at all. Chelsea, yeah, there wasn't there wasn't Chelsea, much of an attack. Chelsea honestly, has been lackluster, honestly. It's it's interesting to me because I I find it particularly, particularly in this game against City, Pulisic looked really dynamic. He was the only guy yeah. on the field who really looked like he was going to do anything. Like nobody else was really putting on any sort of performance. They they were really just getting the crap beat out of them by City. They were just moving through them like they were not there. A couple of things that I didn't quite understand. Um, the first thing is I don't understand why Reese James wasn't playing for Chelsea. Uh, I think COVID? that was... I don't know. I, I don't I don't think so. I I don't know for sure, but the <laughs> choice to play Aspilicueto rather than Reese James was it didn't Reece make James a whole lot of sense to me. Reese James was not on the bench. Hmm, maybe so, there's something wrong with him, but something must have ha- yeah. But anyway, happened, yeah. my point ultimately still stands in the sense that it allowed the fact that City shuffled around their back line to not really matter generally the side that Reese James would play on should he be healthy and playing is going to be uh Cancelo's side and yeah. which is you know City's left and Cancelo is technically a right back but has been playing left back consistently and very successfully and he got moved over to right back for this game played very successfully on the right um but you had a uh, good old fellow Ukrainian Zinchenko playing mm. at left back. And Zinchenko has in the past been very successful at left back. This is the, I think, the first time we've seen him this season. Maybe he he's played briefly, playing. but but it's definitely not been a lot of appearances for him. Very, very, very few. Definitely none recently. And so the fact that they weren't looking to sort of test him a little bit more, get him on his back foot, um, seemed a flaw to me. Ultimately, I thought that Chelsea just didn't look like they had a lot going on. Christian Pulisic was the only one who looked like he had something going on. And I think that this is a distinct difference from when Pulisic was injured. Chelsea had stuff going on. They were doing stuff. But then it was like he came back and everyone just stopped doing stuff. So if Chelsea wants to get moving, they all have to be on the same page, really disconnected in the sense that there was no Mm -hmm. singular game plan. Like they were all just out on the field doing their own thing. And there was no sort of connectivity between the group of them. And it just looked disorganized. I I don't really know what the issue was. They didn't look very threatening. I wasn't worried. Like I I always get like a little nervous when you're like three, three Oh up at half. Cause you're like a half can change so much. And you're like, I don't want to, I don't want my guys to get you know, too ahead of themselves and the yeah. fact that they're get overconfident and then they don't defend. And especially Chelsea has come back from 3-0 down at half already this season. So I, I mean, albeit it wasn't against City, who's had you never feel solidly defensively, yeah. but I never feel comfortable, never particularly feel comfortable. that early. If you're up 3-0 with like 15 minutes left, it's a bit different. You know, it takes the steam out of them. But if you take, if you're up 3-0 in the first half, you have a halftime to rally your guys and get going again. Yeah. So I didn't, I wasn't feeling super confident. I obviously like I was pleased with how city had been playing, but I wasn't like, yeah, we got this in the bag, but they just never. And they did come out a bit, a bit heavier in the second half city weren't flowing quite the way they had been before. Ultimately the game was won in the first half an hour of the game. There was no, there was no response from Chelsea. Really. I, I was disappointed. Yeah. 
because I thought it was really interesting that they had the lineup that they had. And my British announcers before the game were like analyzing it, but they were, <laughs> they were saying that the lineup that they thought that Lampard had put Werner in after he didn't start. I don't think he started the game before. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had been taken out at halftime in the Arsenal game. Um, uh-huh. But they thought they, that they, that Lampard had played the front that he had because they wanted to try and catch City on the counterattack. Sure. Um, obviously, assuming that City would have most of the possession, which City does. And I think that that makes sense. I mean, like, Pep will do what Pep wants to do. But in my mind, if you have those four players who can do that, I, I feel like they should keep playing that way until it might not work. I agree. I agree. Until, I mean, I think there's games where, you know, having a true striker is beneficial. Yeah. Getting your Aguero in there is is nice. I mean, Aguero is nothing if not clinical inside the six-yard box. I mean, like, there are games in which he's useful. And I think you can just as easily swap Torres in for one of those guys he sort of functions mm-hmm. in a similar way in the sense that he can play anywhere across that front three um not as much of a central attacking midfielder but essentially serves the same purpose in terms of fluidity the only guy who really can't is Maras. Maras doesn't really work <laughs> in the Mara fluidity system of it podcast. we are Maras haters on this podcast but he uh, he doesn't he plays on the one wing and he does one thing on that one wing and you know I don't mind him coming in late as he did you know that's fine that's yeah, a good spot for him add yeah. some speed get the defenders you know on their back foot but um going back to um Chelsea yeah and the Werner issue um <laughs> the Werner the Werner issue um <laughs> Clearly there's something wrong there, right? Because you don't go from being as prolific a scorer as he was last year to just a total mess this year without there being something wrong. And I've sat and I've sat week in and week out and trying to decide what I think the issue is. And I have decided, not that I think this is the issue, but that this could be a mitigating factor or something that could help or just something new for Lampard to try, because what they're doing now clearly is not working. Um, in that when he, last year, Werner played as part of a two-man forward unit, not a three across. So the way that Werner yeah. is has played specifically off another player is perhaps part of the problem. And it was suggested, not by me, by some Twitter pe- Twitter folks that are not me, <laughs> yeah. um, that it might not be a bad idea to test out playing Werner as a forward alongside someone like Olivier Giroud um, and just see what happens and I feel yeah. like they're struggling they're not they're not turning results right now they're not scoring goals they can't get it together I feel like it's worth a shot yeah, give definitely. it a go. See if it helps. Because the thing I, is, he's going to, if he can get a couple of goals in a row yeah. in a couple of games in a row, he's going to explode. Like he's, I, he's, I agree with that. you know what I mean? Strikers in particular get really in their own heads. Like yeah, if you're used to scoring a lot of goals and then you don't score any goals, you're in your own head. That's, that's how it is. And he, I think he's, 
I think it's clear that he's in his own head, right? Like he can't finish inside the box, right? Like I mean, he can't, like he's in front of the goal wide open. He's in front of the goal and he can't finish. Like, it's and it's all, like, it's all mental. It has it's, it's a total mental thing. And I think, so I think that they got to shake things up. If they want him to pan out and given how much money they've spent, they should want him to pan out, right? Like yeah. he's young, he's got potential, right? They got to get him going. And I mm-hmm. think that it's worth a try to sort of shake things up also because shake things up whatever way possible but i, do I agree that's one way i think him. they could shake things up i think they I need think to shake things up in general yeah one other thing i want to say about chelsea and this has nothing to do with anything that we've just been talking about but just because i don't understand this so i've observed on twitter a bit oh, of God. um you know people bad mouth their own team as mm-hmm. as one does um, I, I do it all the time and players on their own team where they badmouth and I I mean I do it all the time I just badmouth who did I just badmouth Morris I, I badmouth par, I badmouth people on some city all the time it's like my favorite thing to do but I feel like I at least have like reasons to do that pause. Like, yeah, you can pause. understand why I'm badmouthing Mars I don't understand the way Chelsea fans go after Mason Mount Really? Like, what is their damage? I don't understand. I, well. I think he's been playing fantastically. I'm watching Chelsea game in and game out this entire season. The most consistently well-performing player, in my opinion, watching Chelsea has been Mason Mount. I agree. Like, their damage. What was their problem with Mason Mount? Like, I don't, I don't know. I can't figure it out. Like, what is their beef with him? I don't, I don't get it. Like, Usually I'm like, uh, ha, ha, ha. like, I don't like him as opponent, but I can see why you're talking shit. Like, what is there? I don't I get what the problem with that. Mason Mount is. I'm I don't so know. I think he's that. young. I think he's creative. I think he's good. I think he works hard. I don't know what his, I don't he know why they don't like him. On the pitch too, I feel like, like he gets, he gets around. I don't know. Shocking. I couldn't tell I'm you. By this news. I didn't know that. So was I. I was like reading through replies on something about Chelsea and I was like, why are all these people bad-mouthing Mason Mount? What do they hate about this kid? Uh, like, Chelsea leave him fan, alone. If like, any, If any Chelsea fan listens to this, let us know. I don't know how yeah, you let us know. Yeah, what's the... No, find me, me on Twitter. Find me on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Yes. Let me know. Um, let me yeah, know what the beef know. is with Mason Mount. I have a Chelsea contact. I can text. All right, text your Chelsea contact. Rachel's Chelsea contact. Okay. Let us know what the beef is with Mason Mount. <laughs> um, one more totally off topic thing. Um, Chelsea in fact, stuff? this is so completely off topic, not even related to Chelsea whatsoever. It's about specific, talking about specific players. But when oh, we were God. watching, my dad and I were watching Aston Villa the other day and we were laughing about Jack Graylish and how ridiculous of a human being he is. And that just yeah. his whole, his hair is always a mess and his yeah, socks yeah, yeah. are around his ankles. Is he even wearing shin guards? Oh, How does he fit shin guards in there? I don't know, but he whatever. And we were talking about him <laughs> and we were talking about him and laughing about him and we all kind of like Jack Graylish but we kind of hate Jack Graylish because he's kind of annoying and he like he he's kind of a whiner but he's kind of dirty and he's kind of a whatever is going on like what is going on with him like I don't know and my dad goes Jack Graylish is the Philadelphia of English Premier League players but in like a weird way or like that's not quite right and he's good at what he does but he's a mess while doing it. <laughs> like, so he is, like, what is going, like, you look at Jack Grish and you're like, 
this man is always covered in mud. Like it's five seconds into the game. The, there's, it's not raining. He's covered in mud. I'm like, I understand. Like he's a character. I'm, I'm fascinated by Jack Raylish. I'm, he's an, an, I'm fascinated. Anyway, back to match day 17. I just want to talk about Arsenal's game in the snow because. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Talk about that. And it was a blizzard. At some point we couldn't see the players on the screen. Um, again, elements. I'm not necessarily sure if I thought that Arsenal wouldn't be able to play well in the elements, but they were away, bad weather, and it's West Brom. So naturally, we went into the game thinking Arsenal was going to lose, as an Arsenal fan does. Um, and then it however, went uh, uno, dos, tres, cuatro. cuatro. Um, I want to just talk real quick about a couple of the goals. The first sure. goal, um, Kieran Tierney was just um, an absolute beast on. He's been playing so, so well at left back on on defense in general but um I really liked seeing him become an attacker and his strike was sublime honestly um anyone would be happy with that also in the snow just like he's a funny dude he wear he doesn't he never wears anything other than short sleeves and shorts it could be any brother in the world anyway so we like that about him um but the second goal specifically was Honestly, like pure Arsenal, it was a great connection between um, Emil Smith-Rowe and Saka. Um, and it was just, it was a breath of fresh air to see two midfielder forwards kind of connected and connecting in such a way and obviously like ending in a goal. Um, it's, with Arsenal, it's been what Arsenal has been missing. So fingers crossed that that looks like we're going in the right direction. And then uh, Lacazette scored two goals in the second half. Honestly, just like seeing Arsenal keep their foot on the pedal um, offensively and then obviously also just like defending in the bad weather just makes me feel pretty positive, uh, but I'm not getting ahead of myself. However, um, it's nice to see them pull out a win um, in such a way. Um, and then lastly, last surprise of match day 17 was a Liverpool loss. Um, yeah, so Liverpool lost to Southampton. There was quite a bit of frustration. I know this much about the Liverpool fan perspective, that there was quite a bit of frustration from the Liverpool fan perspective on the Southampton game, um, primarily from once again, the VAR situation. And, and I will a little bit more on that. I I can speak a little bit more on that. Um, so I didn't watch the whole game. And I, there, I think there were primarily two controversial call or non-calls that Liverpool believed should have been penalties. One was the handball at the beginning of the second half, and the other one was a Mane um, trip in the box. So I only saw one of the two. So I can only speak really effectively on the handball, which is the one that I saw. Um, I, I was in and out of that. The, the handball I can speak to, and I can sympathize with as much as I hate Liverpool and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm not pleased that they didn't get this call because obviously I am, but like, I'm always happy to see Liverpool drop points for a out of spite and B it's good for my own team in the table. But um, I can understand their frustration with this handball call. I, I think the, the primary issue with that no call is lack of consistency in the calls throughout the league at large. I've seen those ones called. I've also seen them not called, but I've seen them called. So I can understand why Liverpool fans would be particularly frustrated. And I think that the problem boils down to nobody really knows what exactly the handball rule is. 
And I think the players don't know what it is. The fans definitely don't know what it is. And I'm not convinced the refs even know what it is. I and so, yeah, I think that that's the crux of the issue with that call in particular. So I understand their frustration and I can sympathize with their frustration. I had it been my team, had it been a city game and playing somebody in that call didn't get called on that. I also would have been very frustrated and definitely felt like we would have deserved uh, a penalty off of that. So I, I can sympathize with the frustration with that one. I think though, I always disclaimer doesn't mean it's a Liverpool conspiracy. I just, like, sorry. I just was just watching it. The handball. I think that I completely agree with you. There's no consistency with the call because yeah. I feel like, like how the hell, like you need to have consistency in some way. Um, mm-hmm. But if refs don't know what it is, like, I think like, wait, like, I don't know. Like, it's so hard. Cause honestly, like I probably would say that's a handball in just like general sense. I mean, I think I would say it was a handball too. Probably the fact is the fact of the matter is I've seen them call both ways this season and it's it's hard to not sympathize with the fact that these calls are not being called consistently across the board and while there's always a little bit of inconsistency just because it's you know there's referee interpretation of a specific rule in a, any given instance yeah there's clearly too much of it for this um and i think that it it's just it's an issue it's a league-wide issue there's there's a problem with the handball rule and VAR and what they're doing and they need to fix it. I don't know what they do to fix it, whether they revise the rule to make it more clear for the referees and for everyone involved, or if they just reevaluate how they're going to evaluate handballs under the current rule, whatever that may be. There needs to be, there needs to be, they need to sit down at the end of the season and flush it out because it's been very, it's been outrageous how many times we've talked about this and how many times we've kind of sat there being like, well, it's kind of a handball, but like also like it might yeah. not be, but also we don't really get what the rule is. Like no one knows yeah. what a handball is anymore. So. Because he, while we're on the topic of stuff that comes out of Klopp's mouth, he just makes oh, everything worse, I think, because well, I haven't I even seen this. To be clear, I want I want this on the record. I haven't yet seen the penalty no call in question. I'm trying to find it right now. But I swear to God, if Klopp one more time says, I'm not making excuses, but but I'm going to explode. Because because ultimately, Liverpool should have won that game by way more. It's furious. Oh my God, it... it, I know, I can't find it Like, why can't I find this? All I can find is videos of Klopp's I'm surprised that like NBC Sports comments about have it. I know, me too. I don't know why we can't find this video. Like that makes me suspicious. Why can't I find a video of it, Liverpool fans? Yeah, like Liverpool, like yo. This is relevant to the Mane PK. Uh, oh, my dad. Okay. Here's what my dad said about it. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, my oh, dad good. did see it, and while I okay. can't find it, my dad said. Um, that it was absolutely not a penalty. My dad said, there's no shot well, it's a penalty. Okay. There is, it's, hopefully we can find a video of it at some point and make a judgment for ourselves. And maybe we're totally wrong. You know, maybe my anti-Liverpool bias is coming in. But I, regardless of the penalty decisions though, I want to talk about Liverpool at large in the sense that, because yes. clearly this is not a, a one-off issue, right? Like they have not won any of their last three games, right? They- they yeah, lost they tied, the last one and tied, tied the two previous. 
Yeah. Right. So that's, that's no, that's two points out of the last possible nine. Right. And they're now in a position where technically they're top of the league, but they're tied on points with Manu who has a game in hand and city who has two games in hand is also, if they win their two games in hand ahead of Liverpool, is Liverpool that then, Liverpool? Oh no, never mind. no, no. Never it's mind. just saying if, if Manu, if they all did, finish their get up to right. 17 games, right. You're then right. you've got you're, you're totally right. <laughs> Then you've got Liverpool sitting at 33 points. City, if they win both their two games in hand, has 35. And Man U, if they win their game in hand, has 36. So we're talking about that these are points that they Liverpool can't really afford to drop. This race is way too close. I mean, even taking those games in hand out of the equation, if you just look at the table right now, ignoring games in hand, places one through 12 are all within 10 points of each other. And we're about halfway through the season. Like that's not, this is not a race where you can afford to be dropping points against Newcastle and West Brom. Like you can't do it. Like not this year. No, not Like this is, it's way too tight. And while I haven't, while clearly given that I haven't seen the money thing, I didn't watch every minute of the Southampton game. I did watch the whole um, Newcastle game. I believe it was the Newcastle game. So that game was particularly and I noticed this particularly because I don't feel like this is normally a problem that Liverpool has their entire front line had horrific first touches in that game their touch was terrible to the point where it was straight up ruining chances for Mane for Salah for Firmino for all of them it was bad like and it was really noticeable to me watching it was like what is going on with them like I don't know where that came from that's not something I've noticed from that's not a criticism I've had of those three before that their their first touches were not good but they were creating their own problems like it was problems of their own making in that game in the sense that there was no reason that they shouldn't have scored a few goals other than their forwards were having terrible first touches and it's not like they're defenders or midfielders weren't getting them the ball they were getting on the ball they just their their touch was terrible and it was it seemed out of character um I mean Liverpool fans correct me if I'm wrong but it seemed out of character to me and it seemed like I don't know if lazy is the right word but like non-shackadaisical like not I don't know like it just seemed like a lack of effort like at that high level, like you should not have ter- consistently terrible first touches for 90 minutes. Like you're, t- no, you're a pro- like you're a professional footballer. Like, what are you doing? Like work <laughs> on, why don't you have a better first touch? You know what I mean? Like, and you know, I'm, I'm fine to excuse, you know, a bad touch or two, like maybe two, maybe, maybe two, just, I'll give you one, maybe, maybe two, but yeah. like, you can't be having touches like that for a whole game. And it's just, you can't do it. Not in, not in the you Premier League. You can't do it right now. You definitely can't do that now in the current climate of what the table and is. You There's, can't do it in the you current. Do that, you, you, just, you do that, you lose. They were, it was not, it did not look good. It did not look good at all. In the Southampton game, they weren't even generating chances um, was yeah. what I heard. And what I saw from the few times that I saw it is they had the ball, but they didn't look dangerous at all. Yeah. And Trent Alexander-Arnold is really trying to make a liar out of me 
I was given I was giving him praise and he's out here giving the ball away 38 times in a single he game. He subbed off, didn't he? I think I was watching when he left the game. That was not cute, Trent. You are no, trying to make me I, look bad. I don't know. They, some of their players who should be like their top, like he should, like, sh- okay, he doesn't have to be amazing, but losing the ball. Look, I'm times, willing to get, insane. I'm willing to admit that like, to, you can cut a, a Liverpool a little bit of slack given that they had who? Henderson and Fabinho playing as their center backs. Like, yeah, that's not I understand. Like they're, they're a pretty beat up squad right now. Like their back yeah. line in particular, they're, they're missing some guys, some fairly important guys. I get that. But, but it wasn't like the problem is scored five goals either. No, the problem is that when you are missing, they're not, first of all, they're not missing eight guys, right? Like they're missing a few and they're important guys. We can all say that we can all, that's pretty clear. They're important. Yeah. But when that happens and that happens to every team, you know, every, you know, not every year, but every couple of years, it happens. You get a, your big guy gets a ding. It happened to city. Kevin De Bruyne gets hurt. Laporte got hurt. Whoever, you know what I mean? It happens. It happens. In order to be successful when that happens, your other guys, your other elite level players have to step up. And that's where it's not happening at Liverpool, right? If you don't have Matip and you don't have Van Dyke, then Trent Alexander-Arnold can't give the ball away 38 times. Like, that, like, you have to do the best with what you have, but your guys that are world-class need to continue to play world-class when they have their teammates missing. Mane and Salah and Firmino need to continue to generate chances and score goals when Van Dyke isn't healthy. Yeah, yeah. So while I can't have a definitive diagnosis on what the Liverpool problem is, I goes beyond injury, I think, right now. I think there's going to be a fight for top four this year a lot. I, I don't yeah. – there are no guarantees. There's no guarantees at all. I mean, it'll be so entertaining. Plus, for me, Arsenal's not making the top four. We could go for the Europa League again, and honestly, I'll be happy with that. But that makes yeah. the top four entertaining to watch for me because I'm not – Less stressful. There. Yeah. Sure. So, um, but I do I think it's – Do we have anything else to say on this? Honestly, this week was – as as for as many Premier League games there were, um, <laughs> surprisingly little drama. That's all for this week. We'll see you next week on Kicking Balls. <laughs>